You are listening to episode 43 of the Ridiculous Hour Foundation podcast. My name is Kat Silverglate, founder of the Mobile Mission Project here at the Ridiculous Hour Foundation, where we exist to inspire people to live a ridiculously responsive life. You know, when people hear our name and they hear our tagline or our mission statement, they usually laugh, which we love. This is a, a mission that is meant to bring great joy to people. And they usually ask, what does that even mean? <laughs> a ridiculously responsive life. And because ridiculous in a good way is part of our mission, we usually answer with what it's not. It doesn't mean that we are ridiculously responsive to every bell ding and whistle that goes off in our lives because that just makes us crazy. That is making us crazy. And it doesn't mean that we're responsive to guilt and shame which sometimes is how we grow up or sometimes how we form coping skills or habits. No, it's not being responsive to that because those things are not of God. And it's certainly not being responsive to the ever shifting ideas of what's good in culture or the opinions of others because that just leads us to chase our tails like dogs. What it does mean to us is that God is poking and prodding and nudging and wooing us towards his good purposes for our lives all the time. It does mean that practical, joyful ways to slow down every day, to listen to him and respond to him gives us a complete and full and vibrant, satisfying life. And it does mean that we are on a mission to develop and provide wildly creative ways to make space for just that. Ways to grow in responsiveness to the one who made us. So here we are in July of 2023 with our mission story and challenge. You'll hear the challenge at the end of the podcast and it's called Old Love, New Love. Here's the story. Sometimes truth comes at us in 3D. Whatever it is we need in a particular season, it just seems to come at us from every angle. Song lyrics, through strangers, scripture, stories, memories, billboards, sometimes random comments. It seems to answer something that we're longing for in our heart. It's like God is palpably going ahead of us to make sure we don't miss his fingerprints on our one ridiculous life. Think about his relational push into our malaise, our grief, our questions, our fear, anxiety, depression, sometimes even our joy. Doesn't it make you pause and seize and note? Hmm. Maybe that's from God. Sometimes it seems like the Lord is just intent on simply letting us know that he knows. He knows us. He knows what's hidden in our hearts. He knows what's happening in our macro world. He knows the dark night of our soul. He knows what we can't articulate. Not yet, anyway. Sometimes ever. Sometimes he just wants us to know that he knows. The winter of 2019, it was one of those sometimes for me. Do you know why it's so hard to lose a parent cat? She was my mother's hospice nurse. Her name was her name is Gwen Hussey, a North Philly girl. She had seen more loss than most of us could possibly fathom. She was my mom's private nurse, but really, she was ours as well, mine for sure. She tended to my emotional wounds 
as if her dying patient came to her as a package assignment from above. Gwen, go care for the Irish girls. Oh, and she did. Why, Gwen? Tell me why it's so difficult. I was asking her this question after I had experienced a lot of loss in my life. Maybe not as much as some people listening to this podcast, but to me it seems like a lot. My dad committed suicide in 1974. My stepdad died about, I guess, six or seven years ago. I lost seven grandparents, three by remarriage, two first cousins. My beloved high school drama coach died at the end of a drama performance that uh, I was in. I've lost a lot of my husband's family and, and close friends of his, lost my godmother. And I have lost a lot of really close friends that have invited me to be a part of their finish line, to sit with them at their deathbeds. During an all-nighter with Gwen, Nurse Gwen, I learned enough about her life and her faith that whatever she was going to share with me about why it was so hard to lose a parent, I knew it was going to come from a deep well, not, not just because she had been a servant to the dying. She was also a hospice nurse to, to, in a pediatric ward for a while. Can you imagine that? I can't. But she had lost nine people between April and August of 2005. Nine people. Nine deaths in five months. Oh my goodness. When she talks about it, she says that she can't remember the exact order of these close people in her life. But the two closest, she can remember them with riveting clarity. It was her mom first. Her mom died just before Mother's Day of 2005. And then one month later, she found her brother dead in his apartment. They didn't know the cause of death. They still don't know the cause of death. Unbelievable. Here's how she says it. I'm one of three kids, Kat, so I lost half of my family in a matter of weeks. So much old love disappeared in a flash. When she said that phrase, old love, I had no idea what she meant. So I asked her, what does that mean? What is old love? And here's how she said it. This is kind of a a summary in a paragraph of the bigger thing that she said and the result of spending some wonderful time with her interviewing her about this old love, new love concept. So here's kind of the summary in, in her tone and her words. Old love is different than new love. New people know you for who you are now. They see who you've become, but they don't know what you've been through. They only know what you choose to tell them. You gotta use a lot of words with people to be deeply known by them, by a, no, by a new person. Old love, like the love of a parent or a sibling or a dear friend, it doesn't need a lot of words. Old love lived through your ups and downs with you. They were part of your struggles and your victories. No amount of words can recreate that kind of knowing. Isn't that amazing? I've never heard it before. Never heard that kind of summary before. It penetrates deeply and the people that are close in my life that I read this quote to, people on the packing team for the Ridiculous Hour and people who serve in our ministry, Half of them were in tears by the time I got the end of the quote. 
here's what Tim Keller says that kind of love is about. He says that kind of love is about as close to God's love as one can describe. Here's a quote from his book, The Meaning of Marriage. And this quote appears, if you're reading the hard copy, it appears on page 101. It's off, and you can Google it. It's often quoted by people about the depth of relationship that's holy. He's talking about marriage, a holy relationship. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, it's a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness. It fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Isn't that amazing? I love that quote. So much of our relational life is dedicated to managing how people perceive us. We share our victories largely to the exclusion of our struggles out of this greatest fear, this fear of being known but not loved, or worse, to be known and outright rejected. We may not be able to articulate this common to mankind phenomenon with the same eloquence as Tim Keller, but our tendency towards image management, that gives the interior language of our heart a megaphone. If you really knew me, you wouldn't love me as much, or even at all. Heck, you might even like me. That's how my heart sounds sometimes. When I'm managing my image, when I'm protecting what people do know about me, or can know about me, or I'm making it sound better than it is, or I'm hiding things. When I met my husband in college, I so wanted to impress this guy. We were walking to class one day after we'd been dating for a little while. It had been a while. And I made some ridiculous statement to manipulate his impression of me, his good impression of me. I can't remember what I said, but I cannot unremember what his response was. He looked at me straight in the eye and he said, that's not true. (laughs) Can you admit that you lied? He saw straight through me like an x-ray And that was completely unnerving. I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to experience experience it. But he was insistent on getting to the bottom of it right there in the middle of the grass in front of the library at the University of Florida. And I felt completely exposed and completely ashamed. And he said it again. You can't admit that you lied, can you? I was physically running before I realized that the flight reaction had kicked in. I didn't know how to be fully seen and still fully loved, so I ran away. Literally, I ran away. I ran toward the closest building, which was the library, and I figured he's not going to chase me into the library and make a scene, but oh yes, he chased me. He chased me up the stairs, repeating the words, admit you lied. He chased me all the way up to the top floor of that library, to the furthest corner, to the highest floor, until I was completely in a corner. And you know what animals do when you give them no way of escape? That was me in that moment. And without any forethought, I turned around and I slapped him across the face as hard as I could. It absolutely stunned him. It absolutely stunned me. I couldn't believe that I did it. But you know what's done me more? His reaction. He hugged me. 
He hugged me and I broke down crying. He was letting me know that he could see me completely, warts and all, and I could still be loved. The reason Gwen's old love phrase and Keller's fully known and truly loved ideal and Spencer's not of this world response to my slap is so penetrating, I think, is that knowing and loving someone deeply requires enormous amounts of sacrificial patience and kindness, doesn't it? It's the kind of patience and kindness that comes from the ancient of days, from the oldest love, from God. It's the kind of patience a parent shows a child who rejects them out of frustration. That's old love. When a spouse takes the time to deeply understand our struggle and they're patient as we fight to release it or get through it or figure out what it is, we're absolutely wrecked when they're kind and when they're patient. That's old love. And when a best friend, for me, a future spouse, shows us that they love us despite a lie, they aren't doing it so we can rest secure in our deception. They're doing it so we can feel safe as we turn to the oldest of loves, to the truth. Old love is remarkable because it transforms lives. But here's the warning that comes from Scripture. Scripture warns that we're to be on alert for the human temptation to use patience and kindness as a justification to stay right where we are. Someone's patient and kind, so we rest in our unhealthy behavior. That's not the point of love. The point of love is to change. We have to guard against the type of image management that justifies staying where we are by pointing to the greater sins of others, by pointing to God's patience with them as as an excuse to stay stuck. This is what Romans 2.4 is getting at. I'm going to quote it here. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in the Message Bible, and he says this, and I'm going to say it, I'm going to paraphrase it even further or say it loosely, and then I'll quote part of it. But he says, yes, God is kind and God is patience, but don't be so presumptuous to think that his patience comes without a purpose. And here's the quote from Peterson. In kindness, he takes us firmly by the hand and he leads us into a radical life change. His kindness and patience are intended to make us turn toward the lover of our soul, not provide a soft landing for darkness, for sin. Kindness and patience bring us to a place where we can live radically changed lives as hope-filled vessels for the sake of the hurting world. Read Titus 3, 4 through 7. Kindness and patience have a purpose. Kindness and patience are fruits of the Spirit, the Spirit of the living God. Kindness and patience bring radical change, are intended to bring radical change. So here's our challenge. Here's our mission for the month. In your mission pack, if you've already received it, you can shake out the contents. We sent this one a little bit early this month. So you might be listening to this as a preview Um, We sent out preview packs this month, so if you're in the preview group, welcome. Shake out those contents. If you haven't received your mission pack, there are three stickers in there, and the three stickers say, 
Thank you so much for your patience. S-O-O-O-O-O-O. All right, here's our mission. I want you to consider using that first sticker to list some of the ways that God has shown you patience and kindness. Did it come through a person, a circumstance? How did it come? We're not gonna list everything, but in making this list, it's gonna cause us to turn towards God's intent in patience and kindness, in the way that he loves us. He wants us to change, to be transformed through his love. All right, now take that second sticker. Use that second sticker to meditate on whether those acts of kindness and patience led you to feel safe turning towards him. Did you turn? Did you see that as a purpose? Are there times when you're tempted to use God's patience and kindness as a justification to stay where you are, spiritually, maybe emotionally? Do you look at how patient he's been with maybe someone else who's struggling in the same area or maybe what you consider to be a worse area and you use that kindness as a reason to maybe rest a while, stay a while? Think about it. Radical change is wonderful. Transformation is wonderful. Love is wonderful as it leads to change. All right, here's the last sticker. Consider using that last sticker as a prayer. Thank him for his kindness and his patience. Ask him where he's calling you to turn. Take his hand. Walk away. Use his patience and kindness to walk into his glorious light. And if this is all new to you, if this is the first time you've heard this podcast, if the God thing is all new to you, will you remember this? God is never going to stop knocking. He knocks on the door of our heart and he asks us to open up to him. The question for each and one, every one of us, for you, for me, for all of us is this. Will we respond? Will we respond ridiculously with our lives? Amen? Amen.